The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, and this has provided some really cool, actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, and others wearing it. Um, and here's uh, kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more and make take really better actions based on how your body is doing? And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, in the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting, I found that playing nine holes walking um, was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership, code GSL, 15% off GSL. Uh, head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. We're on a mission to help golfers from all over the world achieve their goals by understanding what it actually takes to play their best golf. We're talking with leading instructors, researchers, and players themselves to find what is actually working. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This episode, this series of episodes has been in the works for a while. It is a Q&A style conversation between a few guys that I enjoy chatting with and I hang out with. It is John Sherman and Adam Young, who you have no doubt run into as you have been researching golf in this space. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, good. I'm doing well, Cordy. How are you? Can we identify the voices for folks? So that we know, because thankfully there is a distinguishing factor. Well, yes. the, the British accent is obviously, <laughs> I'm going to have to put it on, put my poshest yes. accent on. But yeah, that is mine, yes. Adam. Adam Young. This is uh, John Sherman. I try very hard not to have a Long Island accent. So I think maybe <laughs> you'll just hear like a neutral New York American accent. We'll see. <laughs> and and where would folks know y'all from? Or what's the quick, quick bio on, on you guys? Adam, throw it to you first. Yeah, I, I run a website, adamyounggolf.com. So I do lots of blogging. I uh, have done lots of podcasts as well. I suppose most people know me from the book, The Practice Manual, that's on Amazon. Bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> Buy it now. This is John. Uh, I run a site called Practical Golf. Uh, it's at practical-golf.com. Uh, I guess you can think of me as the player coach. Um, I try to approach things from a golfer's perspective and cover topics like strategy, practice, mental game, managing expectations, uh, pretty much everything outside of the technical aspects of the golf swing, which uh, we're going to talk about today. So that'll go well for me. What if we called this podcast the Impractical Golf Podcast, <laughs> just as a way to... I actually owned that domain for a while because I thought I would do like a spoof site, but I never did it. So... Ah. Gosh, maybe, maybe someone great. out there can pick up that that project for me. All right. So the topic that we're going to dive into today is should you swing your own swing? Which is a great question. It's a great question. John, I, I want to throw it to you first because I feel like you've talked about this quite a bit, whether it's Twitter articles or whatnot. Where do you stand on this? What's your take? Start us off. Okay. I'll try and do a brief intro on what I think about it. 
overall, I, I don't believe in like a motto golf swing. I've just seen so many players have success and success is a relative term to everyone with all different styles of swings. So I would never answer anything definitively, but I believe in the uniqueness of the golf swing. Adam has seen my swing. It's it's pretty unorthodox. I do some strange things that no one would ever want to learn how to do, but it it does work for me and I, I, I trust it. So I'm a bit biased on this topic from the sense that like, I believe you can become, you know, your version of a, a good player without a cookie cutter golf swing. But then the flip side of that is that, you know, if you're not getting good results and you're not happy with your game, then like maybe you shouldn't be swinging your own swing. Maybe there's some type of fix you need to do. And I guess that's the crux of the debate. So I, I see both sides of it, but I, I kind of am leaning towards the unique stick to your own style if you're going to make some changes, if that makes sense. We can kind of branch out from there, I guess. Yep, totally. And just for context, you have unique swing, John, but but what is your handicap or what kind of, what skill level do you play at? I'm scratch. I think the latest revision, I'm a plus 0.2. So, hey. hey now. Yeah, I just posted a 65 last week that brought it down. I saw that. So I the swing, uh, some people have made fun of my swing when they've seen it, but I hit a lot of greens. So that's all that matters to me. <laughs> okay. I think we get that perspective. Let's jump to Adam. Curious to hear your, your thoughts. Oh, my head is exploding with all the avenues that I could go down with this. So cut me off if I go on too long. But yeah, I mean, obviously in the, in the coaching forums, we see these debates. You get these natural coaches who are talking about just swing your swing and you know, that someone will post a picture of a swing and they just say, yeah, just go to the patting green. And then you get the more technical coaches who, uh, I suppose they have a model in mind and they're, you know, it's in, it's in their best interests with coaches to say that there is a better way of swinging. And oh, obviously there, there always is. So there's, there's, there's going to be truth in both arguments. I think when you see extremes like just swing your swing versus no, there's a model, there's one perfect way to do it. There's truth in them, but they're both wrong because you have to go to that middle ground. And yeah, I think I, I know you did a, a nice, a, a nice, oh, what do you call it? <laughs> a presentation with Nick Clearwater the other day where you go yeah. more through the commonalities. And this is how I like to think of it as well. I like to think, what are the commonalities with all the best players in the world? What do they all do? Because if, if there are things that pros do that have pretty tight ranges either side, for example, just a random one, uh, how open the chest is at impact, you do not see a tall pro with a square or a closed chest impact. So there has to be something within that. And, you know, you can actually go down logical reasons as to why, you know, it helps low point control and things like that. But then you have the flip side of this and that you see in many models, in many swing models, especially of the past, you know, I was a Ledbetter instructor and we had what's called the 11 links mod model, which is like the P system. Um, and it, what interested me is when I was learning that, I would look and I would see guys like Furick or uh, obviously Furick is the, is the number one example of that. But John Daly or Nancy Lopez or Ray Floyd or Matt Wolf you've got now. And you're like, well, they don't swing like that model. So there has to be something in that as well. And so I like to think of it from both ends of the spectrum. What are the commonalities that have tight ranges? Because there's probably something in that. And also, what are the areas of the swing that have much wider ranges? Like the takeaway, for example. You've got Nancy Lopez, who is way on the inside, 
and you've got Matt Wolf who's way on the outside. Because once you find those things, then you can say, well, maybe those things aren't as important. And then you can get to the truth of what actually is important in the swing. I love that. So I've been hanging out with Nick for about eight weeks now. We've been, uh, we go live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I was more in the camp of swing your own swing, kind of doesn't matter kind of thing beforehand. But after this, I definitely am more towards your side, Adam, kind of like that commonalities. Like there's a great live that you're referencing specifically where he had gears data for Dustin Johnson, Ricky, and then who is the other person? I can't remember exactly. But he had these great gears data and showing, or Rory, that was who it was. And we were going through and he was explaining some of the, the commonalities that are happening between all these people and how everything makes sense of some of the differences and whatnot. And yeah, and, and again, we were just today, like a, an hour before we're recording this right now, we we're talking again about some of the commonalities in the data. I love data. I love learning, you know, what can we learn? Golf Tech collects a ton of data from all their students and they're looking at a ton of different data from, you know, Tour Pro and all this motion capture stuff. And I'm fascinated by it. And there are definitely a lot of commonalities that you should be doing. And I think, John, maybe throw it to you. So like, I think if, if we're talking about swing your own swing and that's kind of the side that you're on, there has to be a line though, right? Of like, well, you can't do this though, right? Um, or you have to have the skills. Maybe Adam, like that would be a better way to say it. Like you have to have the skill of low point control, right? Like if you, you can't swing your own swing, if you can't, if you have no low point control, right? Yeah. And I, I totally agree with what most of Adam is saying is like, there are absolutely commonalities that have to be achieved somewhere around impact. You've got to manage the face and the path, the low point where you're striking it on the face. I guess my point is how you get there, you know, could be wildly different. So I'm not against instruction or anything like that and getting help with it. I guess my main thing is, is that I, I, I get really discouraged when I see golfers who, you know, might have taken a lesson and the instructor like totally, you know, went in a different direction from like their natural tendencies and what they were comfortable with. And it just like was a mismatch. Like they're doing something so far out of their comfort zone that they almost lose the desire to even pursue it. So I guess my hope for players who are working on their swing is that they can make changes within the confines of what they're capable of doing because not everyone's capable of making certain moves. Like you mentioned takeaway, like that's the most bizarre part of my swing. I roll my forearm and take the club so far inside. It's, it's similar to almost Nancy Lopez. You mentioned her earlier. I had an instructor, a pretty prominent instructor freeze like the frame of my takeaway. And he said he'd never, he literally never seen a golfer hit the position I hit with the golf club so early in the swing. He said it was like, truly insane. But if someone, I've had instructors try to fix my takeaway and every time it happened, it, it just, I couldn't do it. It made me worse and I didn't trust it. So that's where I get kind of caught up is like, you know, for me to reach the level of golf I reached, it's because like I trusted what I was doing. Did I make some changes along the way and get lessons? Absolutely. But I also did it with like my own unique style as well. So I kind of blended the two, if that makes sense. And for golfers who are just looking to get a little bit better and play better and, you know, not necessarily pursue a professional career, of course, that's important because you don't have unlimited time. So like these whole breaking down swings and putting them back together things, like, I don't know if that works that well for the common player, um, just because of the time involved. 
Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I mean, when you get to the tall players, you probably shouldn't break down and completely rehaul their technique because they have something that's working, it's so ingrained, and even the smallest tweak in a system like a tour player can can really wreak havoc on them. You know, they're very uh, there are few examples of players who have reached elite level, then had their swing overhauled and, and gone on to be better. That's probably one of the reasons why Butch Harmon is such a good coach and has had such a, a good success rate. Because you look at the players like Dustin Johnson and I can't think of his other players now, but he, he didn't really have a huge overhaul with Dustin Johnson. And even Tiger Woods, he got to the point where he said, look, we're done tinkering here. And I think that's why, according to the grapevine, that's why Tiger left. But yeah, I mean, to go... To go to a different route as well. Why is why is John good? Because you mentioned your takeaway was a little off. So <laughs> it's more than a little off. Let's, well, be, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, well, it depends what model you use, right? If you, if you use Matt Wolf as a model, which is a very common yeah. kind of takeaway now, yeah. But if you use Nancy Nancy Lopez, then it's, it's much closer. But you know, you have to say, well, why why are you good at golf? And it's like, what creates the actual shot? You know, the, the takeaway doesn't create the shot. It's the impact interval. And I know I'm, I'm the one who labors and beats on at this point, but everything that your golf ball does is a result of what happens with that club and how it interacts with the ball through impact. So that 0.75 of an inch of space. And so if you take it away like an octopus falling out of a tree, but you get that club to move through impact correctly or in a functional way, you'll get the shot you want. So... Yeah, I mean, you could say that when, when we go down the route of what is the most important or what are these commonalities with pros, you'd have to, there are actually very few of them. I mean, you'd have to start with impact for a start. So ground contact, you have to contact the ground in a functional place. Face contact has to be reasonably centered strike. You can get away with a lot more with modern clubs these days. Face direction has to be good. Low point has to be in front of the ball. But even when you go into some of the other impact factors like angle attack of attack or path, even those, the pros have different paths. You see some players like Rory was probably four, five, six degrees into out at one point in his career. Bubba Watson can be like eight degrees left if he was a, a right-handed player. So even with path, it can be quite wide ranges that are still functional. Would you say it's fair... I'm not a swing instructor, but like I always am observing golfer swings. Like the, the thing that I just see from watching all these golfers is that I feel like they get themselves in positions, maybe in the backswing or at the top of the swing or at part of the downswing that almost makes it impossible for them to get in a functional impact position. And that is like the thing that prevents them from getting to where they are it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to change their entire swing but like i just see them like throwing their hands out in front of them and i'm like there's no way they're going to get the club where it needs to be at impact and like when you when you're teaching like how do you approach stuff like that where you see someone making a move that just is you know is getting in the way like how do you fix that well, here's a specific example of that. So say in your case, a player is on their back foot and they're hitting the ground behind. You could look at that movement and say, well, there's no way, you know, that, that movement is not conducive to hitting the ground in the right place. You have to change the movement, Yeah. at least in theory. But what I've found, there's two routes, there's two ways to change this. Yes, you could change the movement. That's the way 99% of instructors go and players go. 
Or if I give a player a task of hitting the ground in the right place, then if that movement was needed, if the weight needed to be on the left foot, it will automatically happen. And I see that all the time. So I'll get in a bunker with a player who's doing that movement pattern. I'll draw a line in the bunker and I'll say, right, make a swing and hit that line. And, and they're just they're just solving the problem. Yeah, they just solve the problem and they will shift their weight forwards. I, I you know, I've got a video on my website at the moment on self-organization where I told a player to do that. In fact, I asked them to hit two inches in front of the line and instantly they added lag, they added shaft lean, they added weight forwards. And I didn't have to tell them about this. So sometimes you can give a player a task and the movement comes for free. Or another example of that is the nail drill that everybody kind of knows me for at the moment. So I have a golf ball with a nail through it. If I have a player who's swinging 20 degrees out to in, all I have to do is angle that nail to the right a little bit, ask them how they would hammer that, and instantly the takeaway will change, the top of the swing position change, the, the transition, the more important part will start to change. And so those movements that are necessary in air quotes, if they're necessary, then they'll happen through doing the task itself. What do you think about that, Cordy? So that's just looking at, and I think that's the biggest thing when talking about swinger and swing is, is it, is it functional or not? Right? Like, I don't think you should necessarily swing your own swing if it's not functional. If, you know, if you can't have some of these skills that Adam, you talk about all the time, then you should look at some type of technical change and, Self-organization through creating a task that demands that you change to succeed, I think is probably one of the best ways to best ways to do that. Well, it's how we learn almost everything, right? When we put a fork into our mouth, we're not thinking of the movement, we're thinking of the task. When you write, uh, when you're learning to write your ABCs, you're not thinking of what wrist angle you're at. You're thinking of how what shape of letter you want to create. So in, in almost all endeavors, we think of the task, we do the task, and the mechanics come along with it. The mechanics are a result of the task, whereas in golf, we're always mechanics first, task second, or, or never at all. So I guess it, it, I mean, a lot of people who are playing, it's always this, I always think it's a difficult decision for any level of golfer because... Like if someone said to me like, oh, John, do you want to get better? I'm like, yeah, I want to get better. And they're like, okay, this is what I, I would want you to do with your swing. To be honest, like, I don't think I'd be willing to do that at this point. Like I'm almost 37 years old. I've got a lot of stuff ingrained. Like I don't really want to change much, but like for someone else who's maybe like earlier on or, or struggling a lot, there's like this decision you have to make to like, all right, am I going to go on with what I'm doing or make some changes to try and get better? And I think that's the conundrum a lot of golfers fall into with any proposed swing change or this, you know, swing your swing. Am I going to stick with what I've got or do something better? Like Cordy in your research, like what have you seen from the golfers who like try and make those changes? And like, are you seeing success with like a certain style or like a total revamp? Like you've done a lot more research on this than I have. That's what I'm more curious about. Yeah. I don't have a, a anything specific to pull from, unfortunately on that you know just anecdotally i think it's more of the small incremental changes of what is a player trying to do does their swing kind of match what they're trying to do or is there something there that's you know working against them 
And, and a lot of, I think the, the best coaches and the best teachers out there are very student focused on what are they trying to accomplish? Is it working? Is it not working? And if it's not working, what can they do with what they, you know, what they have right then to help them accomplish that faster, to help them, uh, you know, push that along. So Adam mentioned the idea of taking someone into the bunker to, to learn that skill. Adam, I'd be curious. There's some, I've heard this concept from instructors. Some, some instructors say like, it's my job as the coach to help them learn that faster than having to learn it on their own. Um, I've heard that quote before. Mm -hmm. Do you maybe agree with that or disagree with that? Yeah, definitely. I just think that the go-to in the industry is, oh, therefore you should do a, a huge technique change. I don't find that to be true in many cases. Like say we're doing the ground contact drill. It's like, what can I do to make that player learn it quicker? Well, I can give them better feedback. That's, that's such a huge thing. It's like learning face strike. The amount of players I've had who, who are hitting out of a certain part of the face and all you, all you have to do is identify it for them. <laughs> like, did you realize that you're hitting out of this part of the face? Here's some face spray. Have a look. And they're like, Oh my God, <laughs> I didn't realize that. And instantly they can start to change it. What else could I do that helps speed up that process? Well, I could do scaling drills or differential drills. So I could ask that player to intentionally hit different parts of the face. I could scale, you know, create a game out of it. You know, if I have a player who's shanking it all the time, I will, I will tell them to hit it out of the toe and we will, we'll go through task simplification as well. So let's do it with a putting swing first. Okay. Now it's a game. Once you get eight out of 10 with a putting swing, we'll move to a chipping swing. Once you get eight out of 10, we'll move to a full swing. And in, in almost all of those cases, I, I would say 95% of the cases, I never have to touch that player technically. I've never had a player on my lesson tee who's shanking, who doesn't leave hitting the face better without me ever having to tell them anything about technique. Not that I don't go into technique as well. I don't want to come off as an anti-technical coach, but it's just not necessary for me when I can change a player just through awareness, just through a task, just through an, a better understanding of how to practice. I personally like prefer that approach or at least like that's how i approach my game now like when i'm playing like i know that i have a very into out path so i'm essentially managing every day when i play i'm either i'm managing some type of draw pattern now that could go various ways for me i could have an excessive draw one day which probably means my path is getting a little too wacky which it can so on those days i almost exaggerate doing the opposite trying to hit my version of a fade swing and it kind of neutralizes it or other days my face is too wide open and i'm blocking the ball and it's not coming back or the vice versa or i'm shutting the face too much at impact and i'm pulling it so like for me like i'm just i've always worked backwards from what the golf ball is doing and kind of made changes and i hate to sound like tiger with the feels but that's the kind of player i've always been like i look at my ball flight and i work backwards and golf changes on you almost every day like i feel you know you're, you're going out there with a little bit different pattern every day even though your swing looks the same and it's just managing that relationship it's kind of how i do it i haven't i haven't taken a golf lesson in 10 years not that lessons haven't been valuable for me but it's i i'm more on the side of like the problem solving type thing. I, I like that approach just because it allows players to, I guess, be a little bit more athletic and think about what the golf ball is doing versus like having all these like, 
I don't think about positions in my swing where my golf club is, what my hands are doing. Like, I don't think about those things when I play and it's worked for me, but you know, some other players might be different if that makes sense. I think what you, what you said there, I mean, everything you said about the patterns, I think when we look at the commonalities of the pros or why do pros all look very similar at a certain point, well, the big movements determine the patterns. Okay, so when you look at pros, they, they've all got pretty square swing paths. There might be a slight range. So they're all going to look pretty similar as they're halfway in the downswing because those big movements determine the patterns. But you can't tell what quality of shot a pro has hit just by pausing them halfway in the downswing. Because pros still whack it 30 yards left and 30 yards right occasionally. So it's like... Yes, you can say a pro has a good pattern. They're obviously they're, they're pro. But what actually creates the function of that shot? And it's the micro stuff, the small stuff that you can't see at impact. So whether the face was one degree left or two degrees right, that can make a huge difference. You know, it only takes two degrees of face opening to, to create an out-of-bound shot versus a middle-of-the-fairway shot. Where someone hits on the face is a huge factor. And also the ground contact is a huge factor. If you drop just half an inch in height, that can hit like three or four inches behind the ball. So these small things you can't see on video. And so yeah, that's how I like to think of it is the big movements, the things you see on camera determine your patterns. So for John, you'd be able to tell he's a drawer or a pusher of the ball. Those are his, his shots. A draw would be a good shot. A push would be a bad shot or a hook would be a bad shot. You can tell his patterns, but you'd never be able to tell what quality of shot he hit just by pausing halfway in the downswing. John, this is a, I don't know if this is an offensive question, <laughs> here we go. Do you think you're biased because of your golf swing and your experience with instruction? Um... Of course. I, I think we're all biased by our experiences. I don't want to get down uh, the philosophical loophole here, but I've just seen, you know, I, and I don't want to misconstrue what I've said here. Like every lesson I've taken in my life, I've got something good out of. Like I always tell people like take lessons, like find an instructor that you can work with if you're really struggling. Like I absolutely think swing instruction can make your the path to improvement more efficient, which I think you alluded to better. Like a good coach should be able to get you somewhere faster. They can give you a plan. They can give you a practice plan. So I'm totally for that. And it's worked for me in the past, but at the same time, like I'm also have this side of me knowing that I have a unique, different way of, you know, swinging the golf club. It's not a cookie cutter swing. Like my dad, for example, like he took up golf much later in life. He actually has a very nice looking on plane golf swing. Like we want, I hooked him up to that Zep thing once that swing analyzer and it gave him like a perfect rating, <laughs> but you know, he, he had a, his, his swing was like way more on plane than mine, but he was spraying the ball all over the place at the same time. So, you know, you, you see certain players who have like nice looking, you know, big movements as Adam say, but at the same time, like they can't control their golf ball. They can't control the face and impact because of those micro movements. And like, I don't know why that is. Like, I think there's something neurologically going on that we can't measure. I think there's like a deeper thing going on with the golf swing. So that's why I'm like kind of conflicted. So like, I do like unique styles in golf swing. I do like people to quote unquote swing their own swing, but at the same time, like I want it to be the best version of that. Like it, it's gotta be working with you on some level. 
to have some control over the golf ball. So yeah, I'm, I'm torn between the two and uh, certainly not offended by the question. But yeah, of course I'm biased by my, my experiences. My mind goes off in a million different ways when people are speaking, but um, all relevant, obviously. <laughs> but a kind of analogy that I use on, on the topic of correlation and causation is if you were to give a, advanced carpenters, right? So people who've been hammering nails all their lives and you just, you put a bunch of nails into a table and you said, hammer those. They would all look a certain way, right? They would all have a long fluid motion. They probably hammer that nail in in one foul swoop. Whereas when you give a complete beginner a hammer and a nail, what do they look like? They've, they're locked in, right? They, they don't use their wrists. They're, they're locked in with their shoulder. They use smaller swings. Well, why? Because they don't have the same skill level. They don't have the same coordination or practice or even maybe strength in their wrist at that point. So, and, and if you were to say to that beginner with the hammer and nail, if you were to say to them, oh, just copy what the advanced carpenter looks like, they'd smack their thumb off because they, they don't have what the, the carpenter has. They don't have what the elite guy has yet. They don't have that coordination yet. So sometimes there can be a danger in looking at elite, the elite carpenters of the golf world, aka tour players, because that beginner doesn't have what that tour player has yet. They don't have, you know, the strength, the flexibility, the coordination to be able to even manage a movement like that just yet. So they might have a different model. They might look different and that might be okay right now. I mean, I, I knew that when I put Mrs. Haverkamp into Tiger Woods' impact position, she couldn't get the ball airborne. You know, she, she can't manage that amount of shaft lean because she didn't have the speed. So there's so many different examples of where that, that is true. So sorry if that went off topic, but it's... Uh... No, I think that's relevant because a lot of golfers are fed information where they're like told to like, you know, I always make fun of the golf magazines with like, oh, five tips to hit your drives like Dustin Johnson. It's like, yeah, you try turning your shoulders like he does at the top of his backswing. Like they'll tear every muscle in their back. You just can't do it. Like that's why I'm, I'm I guess you could say I'm fundamentally opposed to like using professional golfers as swing models for um normal golfers because they just physically can't make those moves and like just to make a quick point about like you mentioned like the beginner being like very stiff and rigid like dave stockton he has a great book called unconscious putting and he f he made a great metaphor about putting which i believe is like the golf swing he felt that like Many golfers, their technique is similar to like when you're driving a car and all of a sudden you notice a police officer in your rearview mirror. What happens? You stiffen up. You start thinking about like where your hands are on the wheel and like, like, oh, I can't, I got to go slower. And, you know, you don't want to get a ticket. Whereas, you know, if you were just driving normally, like your instincts would take over. You just know what you're doing. Now, I'm not saying the golf swing is that easy, but I think part of the reason, and again, this is biased, is that. I've become a better golfer now is because I've gone down that path of like my own unique swing and that self-discovery. And I trust that so much more. Like I step up to the ball, not with a totally clear mind, but a more clear mind than if I was trying to connect the dots in my backswing where the club was at the top and the bottom, like trying to connect all these dots that someone told me. That is, you know, again, there's no perfect solution for every golfer, but like, that's what I don't like to see. 
it's almost similar to what Tiger looked like. And again, I don't know if it was because of injury, but like in like the 2013 years, it looked like he was rehearsing all these positions and he lost like the magic of his swing. Like he looked like he was trying to rehearse something that wasn't natural to him. That's what I don't like seeing in golfers. On the topic of uh, motor learning, I mean, there, there are reasons for this with the hammering, the nail idea with the beginner, we call it um, locking in degrees of freedom. And what you find is as that person practices it more and more, they actually start to naturally unlock those degrees of freedom. So they'll start to use their wrist a bit more. They'll start to use their elbow. But it happens in conjunction with that player's coordination getting better. And in, in terms of the analogy that you used of the police causing you to lock up, fear is a huge factor as well. And again, when you've got a beginner hammering a nail or a, a beginner hitting a golf ball, that's such a precise thing that there's a lot of fear involved. Now, if you, <laughs> I've done this before, you take a balloon, so a huge object, and you say to a beginner, right, hit that balloon. They look a lot more like a tall pro than they do when they're trying to hit a golf ball. Why? Because the task is easier. Because hitting that balloon, they know unconsciously, well, I'm not going to miss this. Just like a beginner hammering a, a table would look much more like the elite blacksmith because they're like, well, I'm not frightened of, of uh, hitting my thumb. So in terms of the developmental side of that, the motor learning side, making sure that tasks are scaled appropriately for the person in front of you. If you've got a beginner and you're asking them to hit a golf ball, they're probably going to lock in a little bit. So you might have to give them a bit bigger object, bigger equipment. That's why I like the, um, oh, I forget, is it snag golf that uses bigger club heads and they use tennis balls because it's scaled effectively for the beginner. So it allows them to swing a little bit more fearlessly. Yeah, that's, I think that's where you, it's the fear you don't want to, and that's incredibly hard to do as a golfer is not swing scared because, you know, you're worrying about all the bad things that can happen. But it's, it's, you know, I think everyone has to find a way to somehow unlock that natural side of their swing. And that can be aided by instruction. Like the last lesson I got was probably over 10 years ago. I had a really vertical swing, was hitting this like really weak fade that wasn't going anywhere and just wasn't playing well. And the instructor's like, we got to get you coming from the inside. You got to hit a draw. I'm like, okay. So, and, and I took that information. I only took three lessons from him. He was a great instructor. And I just took that concept and experimented and it took me, you know, probably six months, but you know, I didn't do exactly what he told me, but it just set me off on this path where I kind of figured out how to hit a draw. And that was just, when I figured out how to hit draw for my swing and I'm not advocating everyone hits a draw, I just felt like I finally had freedom. I could just let go of the club for once rather than feeling like I was holding on to it with a fade. So that for me, like that, it was a positive change. It took some work and I had to, you know, change motor patterns in my brain, of course, but it turned out to be like, that was the more, that was like, it felt like I found my natural swing. So to me, that was like a positive experience with instruction where he kind of was just like, Hey, this isn't working for you. I think if you want to be successful, you got to almost fight fire with fire, like go in the opposite direction. And I just, you know, essentially I've been working on that concept for the last 10 years. So again, I think there's a responsible and positive way to do that through learning and instruction. I just like it to be also in a way that resonates with the student and they feel like they're not stepping into someone else's model of the swing that's just not comfortable for them. Well, guys, 
Let's cut off there. We got more questions to answer from Twitter. We got more questions to answer from Instagram. We'll be back soon. Folks should subscribe. Go check out what Adam's doing over at Adam Young Golf. Go check out what John is doing at impracticalgolf.com. Did I get that right, Adam? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Till next time, guys. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.